بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد So before we begin with the next hadith of this collection let's have a quick recap of what we covered last week Last week we discussed the hadith where the Messenger alayhi salatu said Inna Allah ta'ala farda fara'id fala tudayi'uha Indeed Allah has obligated obligations and therefore do not neglect them Wahadda hududan fala ta'tadu'ha And he has set limits therefore do not transgress them Wahadda hududan and Allah has made things forbidden, therefore do not perpetrate them. وَثَكَتَ عَنْ أَشْيَاءَ رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ غَيْرَ نِسْيَانٍ فَلَا تَبْحَثُوا عَنْهَا And he's remained quiet, he's remained quiet about things as a mercy for you, not out of forgetfulness. Therefore don't investigate them. So concerning this narration, we mentioned that Ahlul Ilm have said that this hadith it has gathered together the usul of the religion and its furur the foundations of this religion and its branches whoever acts upon this hadith then he's attained the reward whoever acts upon this hadith then he has attained salvation the part that we want to recap on is the statement of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam when he said Allah has set limits therefore don't transgress beyond them what does this part mean? Allah has set limits who can elaborate upon this part? Allah has set limits therefore don't transgress those limits don't go beyond those limits what does that mean? What has he set limits for? There's a clue there. Sheikh Anjam. Things that are prohibited. Allah has set limits for things that are prohibited. He set limits for things that are, that are prohibited. So, allowed. Okay, good. I was going to say, alcohol is prohibited. That's the. <laughs> you can't go beyond that. It's prohibited anyhow. Okay. So yes. So. Allah has set limits, limits for things, don't go beyond them. You've mentioned Allah has set limits for those things that are allowed. Is that it? Anything else? Allah has set limits for those things that are mubah, those things that are permitted. <coughs> Is that it? There's more. There's more. Now, what's your name? Omer. Yeah, so no problem. Things that are permissible, what Sheikh Anjum just said. Okay, what else? Um, that, would, that you could say enters into this category of things that are permitted. Huh? Obligated, yeah, those things that are fard, wajib, those things that you have to do. Number three. You mentioned two, sah? You mentioned, huh? He mentioned the third, eh? sorry. What was the third one that the brother mentioned? 
Okay, so that means we only said two. Permitted things, things that are wajib, and there's a third one. Amir, is it, is it coming? Nubah, those things that are permitted. I was going to try and get it from Sheikh Amir. I knew you had it, that's why I was focusing on you. Labas. Those things that are, number one, wajib. Allah set limits for them. Those things, number two, that are mustahab, recommended. There are limits for them. Those things that are, number three, mubah, just allowed, permitted for you to do. Allah set limits for them. So Allah has set limits for these three different categories. Who can give an example of something that is wajib? You have to do it, but Allah has set a limit concerning it. Allah has set some type of boundaries concerning it. You have to do it, Isa. Praying, praying. You have to do it. It's not like it's optional. It's not like it is just mubah. It's just permitted. You're not going to get rewarded. No. If you pray, you're going to get rewarded. If you don't pray, you're going to get punished. Okay, so therefore, the salawat al-khamsa, those five daily prayers, they are mandatory. Wajib. But there are limits to it. Like what? The five daily prayers are five daily prayers. You can't say that the mandatory prayers are six. You can't make Maghrib into four raka'at. You can't make Fajr into three raka'at. Allah set limits. Okay. Number two. Matters that are recommended. Allah has set limits for matters that are mustahab, recommended. If you do it, you'll get rewarded. If you don't do it, you won't be punished. Such as the sunan. Yani, um, the two raka'at before fajr. Huh? Ya Umair. That's permitted. Some, something else. Uh, yeah, Ridwan. Fantastic, good example. The example, you remember the example from last week. Eid al-Fitr, Ramadan, you are meant to fast. Uh, outside of Ramadan, it is recommended for you to fast. Like Ayyam al the middle, middle days in the month, like Monday and Thursday and so on and so forth. These are recommended. It's recommended for you to fast outside of Ramadan. But can you fast on Eid al-Fitr? You can't fast on Eid al-Fitr. Ah, there's a had there. There is a limit there. There's a boundary there. Even though the matter is recommended. Fasting is recommended. Optional, voluntary fasting. You get rewarded for it if you do it. But you can't do it on Eid al-Fitr. So not fasting on Eid al-Fitr is a had. It's a limit that Allah has set concerning this voluntary deed. Number three, matters that are permitted. Allowed, mubah. You don't get rewarded if you do it. You don't get punished if you do it. Ah. Marriage. Marriage. Obviously, if a person does have the intention that he gets married in order to execute the command of Allah, execute the command of the Messenger to get married, he gets married in order in, with the intention, conscious. He is conscious of the fact that I'm getting married in order to protect myself uh, 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 from uh, immorality. 
then a person is rewarded. But it is from those mubah matters, permitted matters. But Allah set a limit for it. What's the limit? For example, as far as the number is concerned, four. Four is the limit. So here we can clearly see that Allah has set limits for wajibat, mustahabbat, wa mubahat. Obligatory deeds, recommended deeds, and matters that are generally allowed. Allah has set limits for them, and therefore we're not allowed to go beyond them. Tamam. The meaning of the statement, وَسَكَتَ عَنْ رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ وَسَكَتَ عَنْ Allah has remained silent about things. What does that mean? Allah has remained silent about things. Huh? Should do it, okay. Meaning he... Uh, Yeah. So unknown to the creation. Like what the brother mentioned. Uh, for example, Hajj. Allah, the Most High, made Hajj wajib upon us. However, He hasn't uh, mentioned how many times you should do it. What does this mean? Sakata an ashia. He's remained silent about that. Meaning, Lam yudhir al hukum. He hasn't made the ruling concerning it manifest. He hasn't revealed the hukm. He hasn't revealed the ruling. He's remained silent about it, meaning he hasn't mentioned the ruling concerning it. And that's very important to know concerning this matter. Concerning the meaning of wasakata an ashya. Allah has remained silent about things. Meaning he hasn't mentioned the ruling about it. Because some from Ahlul Bid'ah they might use this and say, look Allah has negated speech from himself. Allah has negated speech from He's He's used the verb sakata to remain silent. But that is incorrect. You cannot use that to say that it is an indication of Allah not having the attribute of speech. Number one, because Allah has said in other places in his book that he has spoken. Allah spoke to Musa. But likewise, Allah has specified. He said, وَسَكَتَ عَنْ He has remained silent about things. Meaning Allah did not mention the ruling concerning those matters. As Shaykh Uthaymin and others have said. Allah hasn't mentioned the ruling about those things. That does not now mean that Allah doesn't speak. Those specific things, Allah did not mention the ruling concerning them. That doesn't mean that He does not speak mutlaqan. Absolutely. He does speak, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as he said in other places within his book. That is an important point to mention. Tamam, as far as today is concerned, in the hadith, hadith number 31, anybody want to read it? Anybody memorized it? <laughs> no problem, no problem. Is had fima? Is had fima inda? Ahsan, barakallah fi. Zayid. So this hadith here is a hadith of Abu Abbas Ahli bin Sa'ad al-Sa'idi radiallahu ta'ala anhuma This noble companion, he lived past the age of 100 and his father was a Sahabi as well. He said that جَاءَ رَجُلٌ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ فَقَالْ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ دُلَّنِي عَلَىٰ عَمَلٍ إِذَا عَمِلْتُهُ أَحَبَّنِي اللَّهِ 
He said that a man came to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, direct me towards an action that if I was to do it, Allah will love me and people will love me. فَقَالَ إِزْهَدْ فِي الدُّنْيَا يُحِبُّكَ اللَّهُ وَازْهَدْ فِي مَا عِنْدَ النَّاسِ يُحِبُّكَ النَّاسِ The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he then said, إِزْهَدْ فِي الدُّنْيَا Have zuhud concerning the dunya. Practice zuhud concerning the dunya. Which we can just loosely translate right now as abstention. Abstain from the dunya. Abstain from the dunya. And Allah will love you. And abstain. Make zuhud. Have zuhud. Abstain from what people have. And people will then love you. Abstain from what? Abstain from dunya. And Allah will love you. And abstain from what people have. Have zuhud concerning what people have. And people will love you. Hadith Hasan Rawahu Ibn Majah wa ghayruhu. Um, this narration here, Imam Tirmidhi, uh, Imam An-Nawi, he said it is Hassan. It is in fact Hassan the Ghayrihi, uh, as has been declared by Imam Al-Albani. Hassan the Ghayrihi. Meaning the, this particular narration here does have some weakness in it, but there are other supporting narrations which strengthen it and therefore make it Hassan the Ghayrihi. It is authentic, yani. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he divides his explanation to this into four parts. The first part is that Ashabu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ahrasun nasi ala kulli khair wa asbakun nas ila kulli khair wa qad harasa hadha al-sahabi ala ma'rifati ma yajlubu lahu mahabbat Allah wa mahabbat al-nas fa sa'ala al-nabiyu alayhi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hadha al-su'al. The companions of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, they were the most keen of people in wanting to get good, all good. They were the, they were the foremost of people towards attaining all good. And this companion, he was keen in wanting to know the thing that will bring about Love of Allah and love of people. Yani for people to love him. And therefore he posed this question to the Prophet ﷺ. So this, so this companion here, he was, he was the one that wanted to know what will benefit him in this life and the afterlife. And so he asked about the thing that will bring about love of Allah for him. Because that is the pinnacle of all achievements. If Allah who is the true king, if he loves you, you've achieved all good. If Allah loves you, you've attained everything that you need. Because if Allah loves you, you've gained the protection that you need in this life. And likewise, if Allah loves you, you've gained the protection that you need in the afterlife. What more could a person want if the one in whose hand is the dominion of the heavens and the earth loves him? The one in whose hand is life and death. The one in whose hand is richness and poverty. The one in whose hand is health and sickness. The one who has control over everything and everyone. 
if he is the one that loves you you've attained everything and therefore this companion he was he was keen in wanting to know this likewise when it is the case that people love you then no doubt you are safe from their harm if it is the case that people love you you are safe from their harm and likewise for the one that wants good for the people meaning he wants to transmit the da'wah of the messenger to them then it becomes more easier them accepting the truth from you becomes more probable because of the fact that they have love for you this doesn't mean that a person compromises his usul compromises his his principles his religion and foundations and principles of his religion just to earn the love of people no but if people do love him without him compromising his deen then there is benefit to that there is benefit to that in that if he wants to enjoin good forbid evil guide them and direct them or advise them then those people accepting his advice becomes more probable because they have love for him anyhow they have attachment to him anyhow they have respect for him anyhow but as for wanting to gain the love of the people working towards gaining the love of people while compromising his usul compromising his principles that is something that is not allowed number two number two is concerning the statement of the prophet when he said abstain from the dunya have zuhud concerning the dunya and then Allah will love you so if you want Allah to love you you need to have zuhud you need to have zuhud concerning the dunya you need to have zuhud concerning the dunya zuhud as we've said it means to abstain from it means to abstain from keep away from that's what it means Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala he said concerning this concerning a zuhud the definition of zuhud he said al-i'rad anhu yani an dunya al-i'rad anhu li-istiqlalihi wa ihtiqarihi wa irtifa'i al-himmati anhu he said that a zuhud that is a person turning away from the dunya turning away from the dunya because of him considering the dunya to be of little value a person turning away from the dunya because of him considering the dunya to have little value and because of him looking down upon the dunya and because of him having high goals goals that are higher than the dunya Ibn Rajab he said that a zuhud from the dunya abstention from the dunya it is a person turning away from the dunya because of him considering the, the dunya to have little value and him looking down upon the dunya and him having 
hopes that are higher than the dunya, aspirations that are higher than the dunya. His goals are higher than, than the dunya. Now concerning this matter, the, as Sheikh Abdul Muhsin, he quotes from Ibn al-Rajab, that the Salaf and the scholars and the people of knowledge, they have mentioned different meanings, different definitions as far as zuhud from the dunya is concerned. Yani different elaborations upon it. What does it mean? How is it manifested? How does it come into effect? How do I know that I'm making zuhud from the dunya? So there are different statements concerning this. Ibn Rajab, he said, quoting from one of the Salaf, Abu Suleyman al-Darani. Abu Suleyman al-Darani, who himself was considered a Zahid, a man of asceticism and abstention from the dunya. So Abu Suleyman al-Darani, he mentions that there are different meanings that people have given concerning a zuhd. There are those that have said that zuhd is tarku nas tarku nas leaving off meeting with people, leaving off socializing. Leaving off meeting with people and socializing. There are others that have said that a zuhd min dunya a zuhd dunya abstention from the dunya is tark shahawat leaving your shahawat, your desires. There are others that have said that it is tark shiba' to leave off becoming full, full with food and drink. And there are different uh, statements that people have mentioned. Others from the Salaf, they have mentioned that uh, a zuhud from the dunya is tark al-ri'asa, leaving off leadership, leaving off desire for leadership. All of these, if we were to gather all of these, they are all correct. They are all correct. And they are all part and parcel of zuhud to some degree. But the best statement concerning a zuhud is what this Imam Abu Suleiman al-Darani has said. He said that all of these are close to the meaning of zuhud. They're all a uh, 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 part and parcel of zuhud. But that which is most comprehensive is al-zuhud fi tark ma yushghiluka anillahi azza wa jal. He said al-zuhud is Leaving what preoccupies you from Allah Azza wa Jal. To leave off what busies you from Allah Azza wa Jal. That is the most comprehensive definition, technical definition, concerning a zuhud. Because within this, the various different meanings and definitions of zuhud that have been given, they are found in there. The various different categories of zuhud are found in there. The various different types of zuhud are found in there. This is the most comprehensive term, comprehensive definition. That a person, he leaves whatever will preoccupy him and busy him from Allah Azza wa Jal. We'll expound upon this because we don't want people to walk away with a half-baked understanding. A zuhud is to leave off those things that will busy you from Allah Azza wa Jal. So based upon that, if it is the case 
that there is a certain job, a certain job that you use to earn a living, that job is going to busy you from Allah Azza wa Jal, then a person leaving that job is zuhud. A certain dunyawi matter, something of food, something of drink, something of markab, of vehicle that a person uses to move from A to B. If it's going to busy himself from Allah, then that is, and he leaves it, that is zuhud. A certain field of study in terms of academics, a person leaving it because it's going to busy him from Allah, that's zuhud. But what is important to know is that before a person even embarks upon zuhud concerning those dunyawi matters that may preoccupy him from Allah, but they are permitted, like a job, like some food, like some field of study. Before a person leaves that off, before he does that, he should pay attention to something else which is more important. What's that? Before a person leaves off al-fudul min al-mubahat, the excessive things from the permitted matters, before he does that, he should make sure that he's paying attention to something more important. What is that? Huh? Forbidden matters. And that's why they have said, the ulama, they have said, that the most important form of zuhud is zuhud concerning shirk wal kufr. Abstaining from what? Shirk and kufr. There is no point a person making zuhud concerning permitted matters, allowed matters. Zuhud from wealth. Zuhud from jobs and money and, and what have you. There's no point a person going down that road. And if, he, if he's not even making shirk, if he's not even making zuhud against shirk and kufr. You find people that are engaged in shirk, worshipping graves, calling upon the dead, and at the same time they practice zuhud, so-called zuhud, abstaining from permitted allowed things. Like the Christians, for example, you find the monks, they uh, practice this uh, zuhud, this asceticism and this abstention from dunyawi matters, by going into the monasteries and not eating uh, uh, meat and not getting married and so on and so forth. That zuhud of theirs is no benefit. I mean, obviously not getting married, that's just going beyond bounds. But that zuhud of theirs is no benefit because they're committing kufr in the first place and shirk in the first place. So number one, you have to make sure that you're making zuhud from kufr. Then number two, zuhud from Ma'asi, sin. There's no point a person abstaining from the fudul al-mubahat, excessive permitted matters, if he's, if he's a fasiq, if he's a major sinner. He commits sin out in public. He perpetrates major sins. There's no point doing that. Like we've mentioned before about the khawarij who asked about whether or not it is allowed to kill a mosquito. What do you mean it's allowed to kill a mosquito? You've killed the grandson of the Messenger and now you're asking about the blood of a mosquito. So therefore, the first thing that a person should make zuhud from is 
kufr and shirk. Second thing, sin. And then a person can look at the third matter, which is those permitted matters, the dunyawi matters that are permitted. If a person thinks that this thing is going to preoccupy him, busy him from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the afterlife, then if he leaves that off, that is considered zuhd. From food, from drink, from money, from houses, and so on and so forth. From the dunyawi matters, from clothes, and so on and so forth. Another important point to mention is that a person now abstaining from the dunyawi matters. If a person is abstaining from food, abstaining from drink, abstaining from wealth and money and so on and so forth, Sathiyan, on the surface, it may seem as though he's making zuhd. On the surface, it may seem as though you are making zuhd. But in reality, the underlying component is to be found in your heart. The actual underlying components of zuhd are in the heart. They're found in the heart. And that is why you may find someone who does not have much wealth and does not have much of the dunyawi matters, yet he's not really a zahid. He may be the total opposite. He may be a lover of the dunya, that form of love of the, of the dunya, which, which is blameworthy. Even though when you look at him, he has a patched up thobe. And he has... Uh, 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 little of the dunya why because he is overly keen overly keen over the dunya even though you may see him and he has little of the dunya the underlying components of zuhud are not found in his heart at the same time you may find somebody who Allah has granted a lot of the dunya yet he is zahid bil haqq he is someone who is practicing abstention in truth in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though when you look at him, he has an immense amount of dunya, has an immense amount of wealth and so on and so forth. So the question now is, what are the underlying components that are to be found in your heart, that are to be found in the man, in the woman's heart for him to be a true Zahid? Concerning this, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he quotes from some of the scholars of the past. And in summary, the underlying components of the true Zahid are three. The underlying components of the true Zahid, the one who abstains from the dunya, are three. Number one. الزهاده في الدنيا ان تكون بما في يد الله اوثق اوثق منك بما في يدك the first component that true abstention from the dunya is that you have more confidence more confidence more certainty Concerning what 
is in the hand of Allah يعني of the dunya for you then what is in your hand we'll explain what this means in a minute but the first component is that you have more confidence and more certainty concerning what Allah has in store for you of the dunya than the confidence that you have and the certainty that you have concerning the part of the dunya that's in your hand number two وَأَنْ يَكُونَ وَأَنْ يَكُونَ حَالُكَ فِي الدُّنْيَا أَنْ تَكُونَ بِمَ وَأَنْ يَكُونَ حَالُكَ فِي الْمُصِيبَةِ وَحَالُكَ إِذَا لَمْ تُصِبْ بِهَا السَّوَاءِ The second component is that your condition, your state of being, when you are afflicted with a calamity in life, absolutely this the same as your condition when you are not afflicted with a calamity in life number two the second component that if you are afflicted with a musibah in life your state of mind your attitude towards that calamity in life should be the same as you were when you weren't afflicted with that cal calamity that affliction number three Number three, component number three. وَأَنْ يَكُونَ مَادِحُكَ وَذَامُكَ فِي الْحَقِّ سَوَاءِ That the one who praises you and the one who rightfully criticizes you, they are the same in your eyes. That the one who praises you and the one who rightfully criticizes you, they are the same. So these are three underlying components to zuhd. These are three underlying components to abstention from the worldly matters. Who can mention them? Number one, in your own words if you have to. Ahsan. Number one, that you have got more confidence and more trust and more certainty concerning what Allah has in store for you of the dunya than what is physically in your hands right now of the dunya number two yes yes fantastic number two is that your state of mind when you're afflicted with a calamity is exactly the same as when you're not afflicted with a calamity number three number three Anybody besides... What's your name, brother? Anybody besides Muhammad? Ah, Abu Bakr. Umar uh, Afwan. Yes. Fantastic. And the one who praises you, and the one who rightfully criticizes you, in your eyes did the same. Doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference. So, as far as... As far as the first matter is concerned, Meaning that if you have something of the dunya, you, you think that you're sorted out. You think that you're absolutely sorted out. Huh? And you, uh, you need to get from A to B, you need to get to work, you need to get to the masjid. So what do you need? You need a, a car. You think you're sorted out. Fantastic. You've got a car, it's working very well. And 
So you have some type of confidence that I can get to A to B, I can get to work, I can get to the conferences, I can get to the airport, I, I can get to places because I've got a car and it's had its MOT done and so on. It's working very well. But a person should have more confidence with what Allah has because at the end of the day that car could, it could crash, the car could stop working, uh, the engine could you have problems in, in the car that you're not even aware of. But what Allah has, Allah is never going to abandon you at the end of the day. Allah is never going to abandon you and betray you and oppress you. So you should have more confidence with, this, with Allah than you have with this car, because this car could leave you any minute. And then there are some statements from the Salaf concerning this. Some of the Salaf, they said that when, when the wife basically says to me that there's no flower at home, that is the time when I have the greatest thicker with Allah. That is the time when I have the greatest confidence and faith and trust and reliability, rely upon, reliability upon Allah. When the wife says that there's no flower at home. Back in those days, it was about what? Not having enough, you know, daqiq, no, no flower at home. Now it's not having flour and not having the spices and not having cornflakes and not having the organic sugar and not having the supplements and not having... Back in those days, it was just about the bread about the flower the wife says to me there's no flower at home that's when my trust in Allah it's rocketing because I know my Lord is gonna sort me out huh? Imam Ahmad he said he said uh, Imam Ahmad would say that some of the most delightful days to me are, is that day when I wake up and I've got nothing I wake up and then I've got nothing because I know my Lord is going to, he's going to take care of me. Some of the Salaf, it was said to them, it was said to them, Amata khaful faqar. Don't you, aren't you scared of being poor? Aren't you scared of, of being poor? Faqala ana akhaful faqar. Wa maulaya lahu ma fis samawati wa ma fil ardi wa ma baynahuma wa ma tahta thara. You think, the man, the Salaf, he said, you think that I'm going to be scared of becoming poor? I'm going to become scared of becoming impoverished? While my master is, well, my, while my master to him belongs, whatever is in the heavens and whatever is upon the earth and whatever is between them and whatever is in the earth, you think I'm going to be scared of poverty? When my master... The one who takes care of me, the one who owns me, is the one to whom belongs everything. You really think I'm going to be scared of becoming impoverished? Ah. So this is the first component concerning Mada, Az-Zuhd. The first component concerning abstention is that uh, 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 you have full trust in Allah, full confidence in Allah. You're not bothered about the material possessions that are in your hand. You don't trust them. You don't have any faith and confidence in them. Your confidence is with Allah. That's the first component. What was the second component? Uh, Abdul Ghani. Uh, Ammar. There you are. If you are affected by calamity, then your state of mind, your state of being, your condition, your attitude 
is the same as it was before that. So for example, if a person loses wealth, if a person loses a child and so on and so forth, Ibn Rajab, he said that the person, he, he becomes more keen, more keen and yearning, uh, more keen yani, in terms of the reward that he's going to get because of that affliction than the keenness that he has in the calamity being reversed. Okay, you got it? I'll repeat it again. Ibn, Raj, Ibn Rajab, he said that a person, this, what does it mean? That a person, his state of mind is the same when he's afflicted as he was before he was afflicted, meaning that a person is more keen in getting the reward because of the musibah, because of the trial, because of the calamity, because of the difficulty in life, he has, he's more keen in getting that reward for being patient in the face of that calamity than the keenness that he has of the calamity being reversed, of the calamity never, having, never even having occurred. Right? Give an example. For example, a person loses a child. Not a nice feeling. It's horrible to lose a child. Person loses a child. However, he is more keen in getting the reward for being sabir, being patient because of having lost that child than his keenness in getting, in, in, in wanting to have that child, in, in the desire for that child to have remained and stayed alive. Stayed, stayed alive. Okay. Person has a business, business goes flop. Person exercises patience and the keenness that he has in getting the reward for that patience, it is more than the keenness that he has for his business to have stayed and never having been tested through that calamity. Okay, you got it? Yeah, okay. And that is uh, quite similar to the statement of Sufyan al-Thawri. When he said, "Azuhud fi dunya, qisarul amal, laysa bi aklil ghalid." Sufyan al-Thawri he said, "Abstention in the dunya it is basically to have limited hopes, qisarul amal, having not having high hopes as far as as far as material matters are concerned, not having big big hopes as far as I want to live long, I want to get a big house." I wanna I won't mention the example Ikhwan, but you know which example I'm talking about. I want to have nine you know and so on and so forth. Eh? That isn't what the, the Zuhud is essentially not having high hopes as far as dunya and material matters are concerned. Zuhud is what? Not having high hopes as far as this particular life and what this life has to offer is concerned. That is what Zuhud is. Why? Because when a person doesn't have high hopes, then that brings about love for meeting Allah, love in meeting Allah. When a person doesn't have high hopes, then that, then that brings about, it produces love in the meeting of Allah, meeting with Allah, and love in terms of exiting the dunya. 
when you, when, you, when, you, when you become real, basically, and you don't have high hopes in house and money and business and status and recognition and all, that, all those type of things, when you don't have high hopes, then what's left now? There's nothing left now, is there? If you don't have any hope in money or a job or career or education or respect or cars, if you're not bothered about those things, then what is there now left for you to be bothered about? The real thing, meeting Allah. Now you can clearly see it. And so you want to meet Allah and you're really keen about meeting Allah and you want to leave the dunya. You're keen about leaving the dunya. As I remember one brother uh, mentioning, and another brother heard this statement and he said, this is the thing that made me Muslim. That the, the Muslim, the true believer, he is the one for whom life is too long or death is a death is a friend death is a friend that has took too long to come death is a friend that has took too long to come when death comes to the righteous man it's like where have you been i've been waiting for you for such a such a long long time but for the evil doer death is an enemy that has come too soon even if you lived for a thousand years but for the, for the man who's a righteous man for the woman that is a righteous woman death is a friend of yours that you've been waiting day in and day out night in and night out night out it's taken too long to come you love to meet allah you love to see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because anything else you've cut yourself off from it anything else from the dunya you cut yourself off from it tamam so therefore this is in relation to the second component that when you have a state of mind that is the same when you're afflicted with a calamity it is the same as as you were before you're afflicted with a calamity that is a second component that is a second component that a person should have why because at the end of the day when you have little hope in the dunya then problems in life become easy for you when you have little hope in the dunya then your problems in life they become easy for you death of a loved one beloved one becomes easy for you to handle loss of wealth becomes easy for you sickness disabilities if you're afflicted with them they'll become easy for you inshallah when you cut off your hope in this world when your hope in this world becomes little and the third component is what's the third component when someone praises you and when someone rightfully criticizes you then in your eyes they are the same it doesn't make any any difference to you whether somebody praises you or whether somebody rightly criticizes you why because people in your eyes they are not the most important thing people in your eyes they are not the most important thing when it is the case that you become bothered about what people say and the opinion that people hold then you can be on the brink of falling into love of the dunya because if it is the case that you are fearful of what people may say and you love 
being praised by the people, then you may end up saying a statement of falsehood just to get that praise of people that you love. If it is the case that you're scared of people criticizing you, then you may end up saying a statement of falsehood out of, or, or, or rather, uh, 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 saying a statement of falsehood or remaining silent about a statement of the truth when you should be speaking about it out of fear of the blame of the blamers, out of fear of the criticism of the criticizers. So therefore a person, when he realizes that people at the end of the day, they, they, in reality, they, they, when you consider where they come from, as Allah he said in his book, that have we not created them from ma'in maheen? Have we not created man from despised fluid? When you bring into mind that at the end of the day, our origin is nothing other than despised fluid, then what is the point of being bothered about the praise of a person or being bothered about the statement of a person concerning you and concerning your honor when at the end of the day that is his origin when Allah Jalla wa ala, he is the greatest of everything and the greatest of everyone if he's commanded you with something if he has prohibited you with, prohibited you from something and that is the thing that that, that, that holds the greatest amount of significance in your mind. And therefore what anybody says should have little value in front of you. And that should therefore cut off hub al-ri'asa. Love of ri'asa, leadership. And having the uh, uppermost statement. A person has a dialogue, he has an argument, and then his ego, it overwhelms him. His ego overcomes him. And as a result of that, because of his love for leadership, he ends up preferring his statement to be uppermost over and above the other person's statement. A person abstaining from that, abstaining from love of leadership, abstaining from love of praise of people, that there, that there is a manifestation of his, of his zuhud, manifestation of his abstention from the dunya. Tamam, ikhwan. What we'll do is we'll close at this point and inshallah ta'ala next week we'll continue with the rest of the narration those are the three main components if a person doesn't have little if a person has little dunya that does not mean that he is a zahid if a person has a lot of the dunya that doesn't mean that he is not a zahid rather in reality the underlying matter it goes back to his heart the heart where these three components are to be found خلاص إخوان وكنكون على بوينت والله تعالى أعلم وصلى الله على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين.